On this episode of Resi Week, we talk what is an integrator, Dish loses a patent lawsuit, and Buddy Checks. All this and more on this episode of Resi Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is Resi Week, episode 372, Create a Loop. Welcome to this episode of Resi Week. This is your weekly roundup of all the latest news and stories for the residential AV industry. I'm your host, Matthew Scott for avnation.tv. And this week, I'm pleased to be joined by two of my good friends. First, we have Mr. Steve Greenblatt. He's the CEO of Control Concepts. How are you doing, Steve? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Thank you for being here, buddy. It's, it's been too long. Then we have my good friend, Mr. Joe Whitaker. He is the Vice President of Business Development for Origin Acoustics. How are you doing, Joseph? Doing well. Glad to be back on the show. Glad you guys are both here. All right, gentlemen, let's kick this off with a story that comes to us from CE Pro and a good friend of the show, Mr. Jason Knott. What is an integrator? Uh, All of us have been asked this question. Wack Lighting and Aspire creates an unbranded video with integrators to explain to prospective customers exactly what it is that CE Pros do. Uh, if you don't know Wack Lighting, they're one of the biggest players in the lighting game, uh, not in necessarily just in our industry, but in the actual lighting game, which is the one if you're going to play in lighting, you need to pay attention to. Uh, Aspire is their AV focus line, uh, just as a little bit of backstory. Uh, but so they they pulled a bunch of integrators together to create this that you can slap your marketing on and use as a customer facing um, kind of promotional piece. Steve, let me let me start with you on this, uh, especially because your section of our industry is even, I'd argue, a little bit harder to explain to a lot of end users. How do you go about developing? that pitch because as great as this video is and a lot of us are either using this or are going to use this you can't always get in front of that customer and pull up like your ipad and you're like well watch this video you'll understand what we do how do you go about developing a concise elevator pitch to give to prospective clients to put on your website to put in your twitter bio so something like this, I think, is more marketing and educational and informative to be able to to really set the tone and and be able to plant those seeds. So that sometimes when you're when you're trying to promote yourself, you you need to promote uh, the the community or others like you, so that so that you're warming up the prospective clients to the idea that you may not work with me, but you need to work with somebody who meets certain requirements and has certain qualifications and and this is some somebody an integrator is somebody that you need to know if you're trying to put disparate pieces of quit, equipment together or somebody that is going to be the your point of contact or kind of your your general contractor if you will for for your AV and lighting project whatever your smart home project whatever that might be and and for for us uh, in in more of the the software side, we we were we always have to try to uh, sell the community on the value of programming 
And then you need to go one step further and say, what is the value of that? That a pro, what is the role a programmer does on a project? And then also, what why would you want to work with some with a programming company versus have a programmer that may be in house? And um, all of that though is really important because if you try to, it, we're we're all a bunch of small companies, so we need to really um, team up on something like this to 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 get critical mass and to, because if we're all singing the same song and we're all saying that understanding what an integrator is and going out and finding one that could help you with your needs is important, it's only going to open the doors for business for everybody. And then it won't be looked at more so as being self-serving, but, but mm. um, something that's, that's going to really lay the groundwork for the industry as a whole. Yeah, that's really good. Joseph, you and I have, gosh, we've talked about this ad nauseum, but we do so many things like your, your typical integrator, whether it's residential or commercial, very few operate in a specifically niche market. Most operate quite broadly doing a wide variety of things. Um, if you're, if you're a whack dealer or an aspire dealer, obviously you're into lighting if you're into, you know, landscape irrigation automation, like th there are so many different things that integrators do. How do you go about not being considered the jack of all trades, but actually fully encompassing the wide variety of things that integrators are doing these days? You know, I've always, I always put it back to, it depends on the day of the week and what projects we're on, um, you know, cause like you said, I mean, Matt, I think what you were, we were on a committee at Cedia together, um, trying oh, to yeah. figure out, you know, what we're going to call and, you know, being involved in that for so long, you know, we went from electronic systems contractors over to, you know, smart home pros to whatever else we called ourselves along the way, um, before integrator kind of stuck, but Eskies. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, we were home technology professional, uh, technologist, uh, the list goes on and on. So, but you mm -hmm. know, the elevator pitch, that's the hard part because, um, we've kind of come into a maturity of, of the industry where not every company does the same thing. Not every company does all the different levels of what we do. You know, Steve gave a great example when it's, you know, software only programming only. Um, then you have the all in one house, you got you know, the companies out there that just hang TVs and put in Sonos, um, it becomes really hard um, to get that elevator pitch down. Um, it's one of the reasons why I actually always, I actually always liked um, home technology professional. I kind of always liked that one because it kind of comprised everything we do um, because not everyone in our industry integrates is a good way to put it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we've got guys yeah. out there that'll just put up some Lutron shades some Sonos um, and call it a day and move on. And they've got great, amazing, successful businesses um, with, 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 with kind of that. But, you know, the elevator pitch I always think of is more about who you're talking to, right? Because we, we service luxury markets, mid-market MDUs, whatever the case is, You've got to have what you have, what you do down to a science to explain it to, because everyone you're going to talk to is going to be different, right? You, you've got to, yep. you know, I'm, I'm an, I'm a, 
residential audio specialist, or I am a home theater specialist, or here's, you know, basically my Sharpie card of the things that we can do for you. Um, more on the side of what can be provided to the customer versus what I actually do. Because customers don't care what I actually do. They want to know what I will do for them. So I, and that's where I think integrators need to start looking at their elevator pitch is to take away the fact that I'm the smartest guy in my city um, when it comes to this or whatever the case may be, or I know all these things, they don't care. The elevator pitch needs to be what services, what things they can offer the client. If they can get that down to, you know, a 10 second, 30 second pitch, here's what I, I can do for you. I, I think the discussion would be over. Nobody cares if we're HTPs, integrators, or whatever. They want to know what we can do for them. Yeah, that's a really good point. All right, gentlemen, let's move to our next topic of the day. This comes to us from Rotors. Dish has been hit with a $469 million verdict over commercial skipping technology. You're probably sitting there going, why do we care? And let me tell you. Um, I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. What makes this very interesting is one, the amount that's involved from the uh, infringing on two patents uh, that Clearplay had relating to filtering material uh, from streaming video. But two is the fact that, well, they found that this violated Clearplay's patent rights. They rejected that they copied the technology um, intentionally, which is which is an interesting aspect of this. Joe, this is uh, this didn't get a lot of play in our media um, from from the AV side, but this is a fairly big deal. Again, partially due to the the size of the verdict, but secondly, because somebody actually won a patent challenge in the AV space. What does this mean? for dish um but what do you what do you see this doing going forward i, I think man i think so many things about this one because um not just in our industry but overall this is this is this is an should be an eye-opener for everybody this is a david and goliath story you know i don't care what mm -hmm. anybody says dish is one of the biggest out there right they have massive amounts of revenue or money just money period not just revenue but money they, they are lawyered up like no other. This is, you know, you take those top big ones out there, AT&T, Dish, Lutron, Sonos. These are guys that they could lawyer you to death and drag lawsuits out to the point that you spend more on your own legal um, than the lawsuit would pay out. So this is one of those stories where if you look at, you know, the USPTO and, and things going on there that... And I don't know if anybody knows this. In the last five years, there have been a lot of changes um, with the way the USPTO works, all the way down to how pads are filed, how they're claimed, the entire thing. The little guy is important again, right? Because we haven't seen a win like this in quite a long time. I mean, look at this exact lawsuit. If this was a mentality of the courts for intellectual property and also the USPTO, when Lutron sued list the list the list is forever restaurant control for everybody yep. um now now look at how that would have worked because there was ip on the other people's side too um so i think everyone should be paying attention to now now because matt you know you could walk 
through Expo last year or this next year, and you could walk, you know, a hundred feet and go, um, that's a patent violation. That's a patent violation. That's a patent violation. Oh yeah. And just see them repetitively. Um, so now, you know, this is one of those advice things of me, you know, now being in a manufacturer's seat of, if you think you are infringing, you need to start taking a look at what you're doing. Um, because I think this is going to be one of those things where everybody goes, oh, wow, wait, I'm a little bitty company, um, but I can actually defend my stuff against these big gorillas now. I, I need to start getting on this. So that's the big eye opener to me. If you're going to win something against somebody like Dish, you know, that owns like 70% of the uh, gray band uh, out there, like they, they're, they're a mammoth and they lost. I'd be, I would be interested though, to find out that hundred some odd million, if that's going to be like a royalty payout or how that actually work, how they came up with that number. But this, in our industry, this is a big deal. The little guys can win. Yeah. The four, the 469 million is, is fairly massive. Steve, you and I have talked in the past about, and specifically more in the, the professional side, there are some companies out there that, and I'm not naming them. Nice try. Um, that we would consider patent trolls. They buy patents and they work in the space and you're think you're thinking of them right now. Um, but they literally will, they innovate by litigation. That's, that's what they bring to the table. They sit on their patents and then they sue people that come up with something similar. Um, but typically kind of to, to Joe's point, you very rarely see something co- to the point of a verdict. You see a lot of infringements and then agreements with royalties being paid. Uh, we've seen that in some of the, the examples that, that Joe was alluding to. We don't see a lot of patent infringement cases, even in our space, that go all the way through to a verdict with a, with a, um, a, a fiscal penalty that is not somehow roped into a royalty situation. Do you think that this is going to open the door for more companies in our space to get a little bit more litigious? If they can win, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I mean that that's the whole point is that you know what 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 Joe was saying is that you know th this leaves hope for the little guy, but they must have had a really good case because to to his point and uh, that that you know no matter if you're right or wrong, if you're going to, um, if it's going to cost you more money than it's worth, it's very hard for, to, to really look at that as a good business decision. Mm -hmm. So that, that's really where the, this gets to be very difficult. I, I, I'd only, I'd have to imagine that this was a, um, a lot more clear cut and they had a good confidence level that they were going to, to, to be, uh, found, uh, the, the, the winner of the, this case, um, and, and that they were going to get paid. Otherwise I could see something like this going down a road could, could be very detrimental to a business. Even if you feel like you're right, if you can't win, um, it could really take you down. So I, 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 I would say it's, um, it's a slippery slope. Yeah. I, I think you're right on that. It's, how many Goliaths have been sued? And there's been a lot. And there has been a lot. Especially, and like, I, I'm thinking specifically of the, the Sonos and the um, the Google suit. Oh, yeah. that one. 
Yeah, like well, just, yeah, well, that was well, a multi-tiered so, one. So Heos yeah. sued Sonos, which was again little guy going up against big guy, mm-hmm. and then when Sonos sued um, uh, Google for the uh, um, for the their pod thing, um, that was all. That that was just a, a bigger version of <laughs> the same thing. Yeah, um, David going up against Goliath. It, it's it's a little nuts. All right, let's let's change topics again because I'll play in the legal space for quite a while. This comes to us from a residential systems and a good friend of the show, Mr. Henry Clifford, uh, who was on last week. Buddy check for the win. Uh, as always, go read through Henry's article. He he recounts uh, growing up and being in a uh, a scout camp and having a uh, essentially a, a buddy board where you had a swim buddy. So when you jumped in the pool. Um, you had to have a, uh, a swim buddy to make sure you stayed safe. Henry pulls this into using a, a buddy check to work within your business and go through a, a couple of outlined checkpoints where people within your company can check with one another to make sure that, you know, a, a specific project is still on track, uh, in the pre-show we were talking about how, you know, I, I use this in my company. Um, but I also use this from a, like a, as an outboard and I've reached out to Steve, I reached out to Joe and a variety of other people, uh, and people have reached out to me to go over things real quick and just be like, Hey, are we on the right track? Steve, is this something that is, unknown for most companies, especially for most smaller companies, the concept of internal checks and balances within a project as it's going. I think it speaks a lot to, to a company's culture. Uh, I think that if, if it's a very much a top-down leadership or, the, or there's certain uh, members of a team or certain roles are, are elevated as being uh, um, more important than others, then, then that collaboration is probably less, um, less frequent, less, uh, uh, less, less accepted. Um, a lot of times, if you think about it, um, a technician installing a system may have all the greatest ideas because they're the ones that are talking to the client and they're the ones that are right in front of the equipment and they're seeing opportunities for improvement. But if they're not encouraged to go share that with other people, and if that does not come back around to the the sales department, let's say, they, in some businesses, they may not even know each other. And in others, yeah. they may be in a, a, a barrier between that type of communication. So it, it really does depend on a company's culture and, and the, the way that they empower people to be able to provide insight and bring ideas to the table and, and um, be, be collaborative. And, and for me, I mean, I, I, this is a, a great article and this is a, an amazing idea. And, and we all talk about doing a debrief after a project. And a lot of times you talk about that when something doesn't go well, but, but, how often do you do it when it does go well? Because yeah. you can learn a lot from that as well. And, and I think that there's a stigma associated with that. And, and, I, and we all need to be able to, to be less um, 
check our ego and and be be open to feedback and be open to to continual improvement and something like this i i think is really critical for for small businesses and uh, especially for for teams because when it comes down to it all the parties of a project they they can't exist without the others and and so if we if we make sure that we're creating a loop and giving everybody the opportunity to look at uh, how how we can can be better and what we can learn from an experience that, that has to be a win and, and, pro, and provide really measurable value to a company. Really wish that every time I said I was going to do an after action, I actually did. Because <laughs> <laughs> we just move on to the next project because that's how life works. Either that or something so bad that yeah. then you do it. But yeah, you don't you know, you need to do it consistently. <laughs> or it's so bad that you don't want to do it and you don't, you don't want to go back and relive that pain. Um, Agreed. Which never happens to us, does it, Steve? We never do that. Um, Joseph, I, I'm glad that Steve brought up ego because I think that is the... Why, why Why are you pointing this one at me? No, <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not... Joking. <laughs> hey, if it if it fits, man. So I, I, I have this running joke that I like to tell people that I'm the smartest guy in the room because it makes people do the like whoa, he's a condescending punk. Um, mm -hmm. But I like to say that a lot because it, it gets a really good reaction out of people. But it allows me to, when questioned, explain why. And I am never actually the smartest person in the room. But typically, I know enough smart people in enough smart areas that if you ask me a question about something, I know someone I can call to get that answer. And I view it as the, you know, the side of I'm well aware that I know people that are way smarter than me and I'm going to heavily lean on them as much as possible, which is why I call Steve all the time. Um, is it something where most integrators and most integration firms, a, they're a little bit smaller, but B that owner, that, that, main person in that firm has done the, I'm the smartest guy all the time. Right. I, I, I don't hire mm -hmm. people smarter than me. There's nobody smarter than me in my company. So I don't have anyone to check on th to, you know, to double check things, to, to, to bounce something off of how much does ego play into the inability of a lot of us to actually implement a system like this? A lot. Um, oh my God, a lot. So, you know, you know, you know, you know where, you know, what I do at, at my current job and you kind of know the makeup of my old company. You've met a handful mm -hmm. of people that were there and I've always lived by the, if I am the smartest person in the room, I am not in the right room. Um, because at the end of the day, all I'm going to be left with is the mistakes I would have made on my own anyways, when I could have surrounded myself by people who are much smarter than me in other areas, I'll, I'm happy to stay in my lane. Um, you know, that you, you can't, you can't grow like that. And number the, the flip side of that is you talk about that attitude in any organization. Um, the resentment it caused creates silos that slows the business down. Um, that's just yeah. the, the nature of thing is it'll start putting up walls. Everybody gets into silos and now that things are not moving the way they should. Um, there's a lot of, 
great bad examples of this um, in our industry. And one of the most typical places you find this is in integration firms that also have a retail outlet, right? So yeah. you have standard retail and then you have the custom side of it. And those don't, those two don't fit well together. Naturally they don't, but the customer coming off the street, building a new house, goes to the retail center first, talks to the retail salesman, the retail salesman scratches all on down the paper, sends it to custom. And the guy over there in custom looks at it and goes, none of this is going to work. It's because it's a silo, right? They created a silo. And a lot of times that happens because of the people up at the top, like you're just discussing, Matt, I know better than everyone. So just do it my way. Um, you lose all the ability to speed up processes, um, you know, increase logistics, all of those things that could happen are broken because of egos creating silos. So you're hundred, you're hundred percent right. And I think me and you, Matt and Steve probably does too. We probably know those same guys. Um, there are those yeah. out there that they could be much better, much more efficient. They just check themselves at the door and realize there's a reason why they have the team. The team is to bring everybody up together, right? That's why I've always thought that Henry, good old buddy, old pal, is a perfect example of how to do it the other way. The dude is highly educated, great business owner. I mean, he knows what he's doing, but he takes all that feedback from employees, customers, all of that stuff, mm -hmm. mishes them together, and lets those guys kind of build the in-betweens, uh, which is why this article was so good. I love the buddy system idea. Yeah, it's genius. And if you want a list of those people, just send me a DM. I'll hit you yeah. up so you know who you're talking to. Because I might know a couple. I know. Heck, I know more than a couple. Gosh, the list is long. But I keep one. So, yeah. All right, uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us today. Joe, if people want to connect with you, learn more about Origin Acoustics, where can they do that? They they can always find me on the socials at you know at Joe Whitaker or uh, you can always directly email me. I love those Joe at originacoustics.com and they can of course find us at originacoustics.com. But if you're a dealer, you're probably going to go to originacoustics.net. If you're a dealer, go to that. There's some new stuff on there. There's some new tools and forums to kind of make life a little easier for you. I love it, uh, Steve, my good friend. If people want to connect with you, learn more about control concepts, where can they do that? Uh, for me, you can reach me on social uh, at Steve Greenblatt. Uh, my company can be reached at controlconcepts.net. Uh, and as Uncle Richie, my partner at the State of Control, says, uh, <laughs> make sure you come to avnation.tv to uh, check out our control and automation podcast. So we'd li like to have more uh, people uh, as guests and, and hear the feedback that uh, on the shows that we're we're doing and you always get to hear a good rant uh, from rich so uh please check that well, and out don't don't you know downplay the ask the programmer as well that's another really uh, good show you oh do. yeah thanks uh, with, i do have that's a, james king right yes do a podcast with james king uh, yeah. called ask the programmer and that's uh, a nice compliment to a state of control weekly show thank you you're welcome. I got you. Don't worry. I'll plug stuff for you. Uh, thanks again for joining us. If you'd like to connect with me, you can find me on Twitter at Matt D. Scott and most other social platforms. But more importantly, please visit avnation.tv 
where you'll find this show as well as a wide variety of other shows with all the verticals that we cover. When you visit the website, please take a moment to check out our supporters. We are extremely thankful for their support and ask that you check them out as well. Thanks again for watching. That's all the time we have for this episode of Resi Week.